good morning. If you have a Bible with you this morning, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. And uh, we are going to, these weeks leading up to Easter, um, we're going to look at a number of the sayings of Jesus on the cross. And so this morning we'll look at the first one. I don't believe that we will get to all seven of them, uh, but uh, we may combine one or two next Sunday or the next, and we will get there. But Luke chapter 23 records the first of these sayings on the cross. And so uh, if you have a copy of the Word, turn with me there, and we will uh, read starting in verse number 26. We'll read a couple of verses, then we're going to skip down to verse number 33, and we'll pick back up, and then... During the sermon, we'll look at those verses in between. But here is uh, Luke's account of the crucifixion. He records these words in verse 26 and following. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the, the cross carry behind Jesus. And there followed him a a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. Verse 33. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If He is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. Verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? We indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, or he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw that he 
what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee, they stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and their action. He was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen shroud, and laid it in the tomb, cut in stone, where there had where no one had yet ever been laid. Father, as we look at this first statement of your son while he was there on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. God, I pray that uh, you would speak, that Your spirit in this moment, in this place. Father, your spirit would speak to me. Father, your spirit would move in our hearts this morning. That it would be real as we look forward to the event, Easter, Resurrection Day. Father, may we be reminded the price that was paid and the reason why it was paid. As we see these statements on the cross, the the attitude, the actions of our Savior, might it draw us to you. And may, just as we sang a moment ago, may you change us from the inside out. May you even now be working in our hearts to draw us closer and closer and closer. Lord, we need that. We need you. That is your desire as well. Would you just work? And Father, whatever is of me this morning, I've stated this a number of times, but Father, whatever is of me, God, may it just be wiped away from our minds, but whatever is of you, would you just allow it to stick? Because we're going to go through this week coming up, Father, and it's going to be hard. And there's going to be some people that we come in contact with, that I come in contact with, that I need to forgive and be willing to forgive and have the proper response. We will as well. God, may that stick. May you lead us this week in Christ's name. Amen. So we see these sayings of cross and three points this morning uh, the first being this we need to understand we need to see the event itself the event itself is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ it was commonplace this event somebody being crucified in Jerusalem around Jerusalem right outside of Jerusalem it was commonplace 
Because it happened. If not every day, if not every week, it happened every single month. The Romans did not invent crucifixion. But they took the science of it. They, they understood it after it was invented before them. They took that science and they made it into an art. And they mastered it as an art. They understood just how many lashes that one could take. They understood just the placement of the nails, the placement of the beam. They understood the whole event in totality and they loved it. They loved it for a number of reasons. Let me draw your attention to at least one of them. It was this. It wasn't the the painful aspect of the death because even to this day it has been noted time and time again even to this day that crucifixion is the most horrific or one of the most horrific ways to die. But what the Romans loved, not just inflicting the pain, the physical pain, but they loved inflicting the shame that went with it. Because they knew of all those who would be coming up against them, that if their leader, whoever the the mob was, whatever the, the insurrection was, they knew that if their leader was up there on the cross that they would be dispersed. Because of the shame, the pain physically was terrible. The shame was almost, if not more, unbearable. And the event of Jesus' crucifixion, not only is it commonplace, but it was just so unreal. The the time that he was crucified, Jerusalem is overpopulated. It is the holiest of weeks on the Jewish calendar. There are Jews that have traveled to this site, to this town, for this moment called Passover. They are there. It is just a mob scene. in a frenzy. It's kind of like if it were to happen today. It's kind of like being at the Macy's parade. Or if not the Macy's parade, maybe it's like being at Walmart at 6 o'clock on Thanksgiving night all the way through what we call, yeah, I know, I'm, not, I'm never going to be there, Mr. Harris, along with you. Um, along with all of the Friday after, just the frenzy of the people that are there. It is at a a height. It's at a pinnacle that is happening in Jerusalem. And here, most everybody here can remember where they were. 8 o'clock, 745, 8.30 on 9-11. Most everybody here could could remember what they were doing when they heard that news. And this would be something similar. Maybe you remember what you were doing when the trial for O.J. Simpson took place. You were glued to this television or that television. Or maybe 
for those of us that might be a tad older, we can remember the day that Elvis died. Or even if we are older still, what was happening when JFK was shot and killed. Those moments and those days are markers that you look back on and you can say, I know definitively here's what I was doing when my world changed. That is what was taking place the day that the nails were being nailed The hands and the feet were being pierced and Jesus was being raised up over the earth. This instrument of death is seen in this event. And I read for us the first uh, verse there in verse 26 and 27. And they led him away from the moment that they beat him, that they tortured him all the way out through the streets of Jerusalem to that place called the Skull or Golgotha, Jesus stumbled. Jesus was pushed. Jesus walked. Jesus fell. Spit upon. Hit. Slapped. They grabbed this man. Simon of Cyrene. He was coming in from the country and they they said, hey, you are going to carry the beam. And he carried the beam behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. This event... We're not going to spend our time on the event. We're going to spend our time on the event in weeks ahead. But I needed you to see, get your picture, get your mind and the picture there of this event so that you and I can see not just the event, but we can see the response. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, an author, speaker, stated this, that there were four people, four groups who responded, but, and I'm going to share with you those, but I really believe that there were not four groups of people who responded, but there were really two groups, how they responded, and each of those groups had subgroups of four. And so let's look at these groups. The, I'll call them the insiders and the outsiders, and what you might think of, and what I might think of, uh, realistically, we might think the insiders are the ones that are good. No, the insiders in this story, how they respond, are the ones that are bad, and we need to be, in our response, more like the outsiders. Two groups, the outsiders, people who got Jesus. They understood what Jesus was doing. They understood from this event, from the crucifixion, from Him being nailed to a cross, they understood who He was. And then you have the insiders, the people who didn't get who He was. So let's look at these two groups. Four subgroup, four in the subgroup underneath, those who got Jesus. There was this moral 
outsider. Look there in verse number 40 if you have a copy of God's Word. And you see that this moral outsider, he is the thief. And you need to, this, I've never brought this out, I don't think, in a sermon before, but, but maybe you've heard this, maybe not. This person's called a thief, or they're called criminals, they're called a thief, and then they're called a criminal later, um, in verse 37, 38, this criminal, we, we know of them as a thief, but just to let you know, in that day, if you just stole something, if you went in somebody's house or on, in somebody's business, it was not punishable by your life. Something must have happened when this person, when these two men were being uh, thieves, when they were in the act of it, something must have happened. They must have uh, killed somebody or something more gross in scope must have taken place than just stealing money or someone's possession. But this moral outsider, this thief in verse 40, but the other rebuked him saying, so we have one thief calling out another thief. And he's rebuking him saying these words. Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This moral outsider, one of the thieves, understood who Jesus was. He understood the, the event that was happening and why it was happening. It was happening for him. It was happening for you and it was happening for me. Not only do we see a moral outsider, we see a racial outsider. In verse 47, uh, I'll draw your attention to that Roman soldier, that centurion, when he saw what had take, taken place, when Jesus breathed his last, when Jesus died, here is what he says when the centurion saw that. He praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. You see an intellectual outsider in verse number 50, Joseph of Arimathea. It was spoken there that he was a part of the council. He was a part of the Sanhedrin, but he did not agree with what was going on. And he desired the kingdom of God. And then you see the social outsider. It's actually a group. It's a group of women that are lamenting and mourning. And then in verse 55 and 56, which I didn't read before, it states this, the women who had come with him from Galilee, they followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. They were social outsiders because it was all about men. In that day. But then you see the insiders. Who are the moral insiders? They were the Pharisees. And if you and I were living there in that day and we were Jews amongst in that group of people, we would look up to them more than likely. They were blue collar. Everybody wanted to be like them. Why? Because they, on the outside, were the ones who were religious. But Jesus had spoken to them and stated time and again brood of vipers, you whitewashed tombs. Moral insiders, the racial insider, the Jewish elite, the Sanhedrin, the, the one that 
Joseph of Arimathea was a part of that group of 70 or even more that had made the decision to crucify Jesus. The racial insider, the moral insider, but then you see the intellectual insider, Pilate. He was governor. He knew the game. He knew the politics. He knew how to save his hide his skin, so to speak, and then also the social insider, very similar to Pilate, that of Herod, the king. He knew what people wanted and was so willingly there to oblige. What's your response? Do you find yourself responding to this event, responding to this action of Jesus Christ like those on the inside or those on the outside. Before we finalize our response this morning, I need you to grasp His focus. I need you to grasp the the focus of, of Jesus in this passage. Because His focus is what drives, it's what is to drive you and what is to drive me to Him. Because I know what your week has been like and probably know a little bit about what your week coming up is going to be like and what the week after that's going to be like and what the moment and the day after that is going to be like because I don't think of myself much different than any of you. And I know what my week was like this past week. And I know what my week's going to be like this week because I've got two kids at the house and I'm glad I've got an office up here that I can come to. They're not here, so I can say that. They'd hit me if they were, but, you know, all joking aside, you and I are going to come in contact with with some people that need forgiving this week. You and I are going to come in contact with people that need forgiving next week. You and I are going to come in contact with people that need forgiving probably before lunch is over today. We're going to come in contact with people that need forgiving, and we are going to Come in con- people are going to come in contact with us who need to forgive. And that is the focus that we see of Jesus. I need you to, to grasp this moment. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, when they came to Golgotha, they took the beam from Simon of Cyrene and they laid that beam on the ground and there they crucified him. Meaning this, that there they nailed his arms to that beam. There they lifted him on the beam up over the earth and they placed him on the beam that was already erect. 
And there they nailed his feet to that beam. There they crucified him. Then Jesus, verse 34. Then Jesus said. After they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. I read that. I don't know how many times I've read that over the years. I don't know how many times I read that this week. How many times I I stated that this week. Over and over and over again. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. They knew exactly what they were doing. Jesus knew that they knew exactly what they were doing. But on the other hand, they didn't have a clue what they were doing. And he was totally correct. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They knew that they were killing a male. They knew that they were killing Jesus. They knew that they were piercing him in his hands and in his feet, in the proper place for the proper desired effect, which was death. They knew that. But that's not what he was talking about. They did not have a clue that they were nailing hands and feet of God on a cross. They did not have a clue that they were nailing the one who loved them, who was taking their place, who was a substitute for them, a propitiation for them, who was, just as we sang, securing place at his table for them they didn't have a clue and Jesus as he comes to the end he ends his public ministry the same way he started it. his focus is prayer his focus is on others and he prays to the father father forgive them for they know not what they do How does he begin his public ministry? If you look back in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, you see in Luke 3, 21, he's baptized, and after he's baptized, he's praying. And that's how he begins his public ministry. They're bookends. Begins in prayer and ends in prayer, and the focus throughout is not on himself. The focus throughout is on us, on others. A.W. Pink stated it this way in his commentary. He says, no longer 
Might those hands minister to the sick, for they are nailed to the cross. No longer may those feet carry Him on errands of mercy, for they are fastened to the cruel tree. No longer may He engage in instructing the apostles, for they have forsaken Him. How does He occupy Himself? He occupies Himself on the cross thinking of you. He occupies himself on the cross thinking of you, thinking of me, knowing that 2,000 plus years after this event, there would be an opportunity for you and for me to respond to him because there is a desperate need for him. So therefore he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Do you know what he did? Every single one of us here this morning, every single one of us here this morning will stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and when we stand before him, We will have no excuse. We'll have no excuse because of the privilege that you and I have had because of the place where we are at this very moment to hear the words that have been spoken not just today but in previous days as well. But we've heard the event. The event took place 2,000 years ago. It took place. He was nailed to the cross, not for anything that he did, but for everything that you have done or you will do. He took it. Will you accept what he did for yourself? Not not just know it, head knowledge, but, but accept it, trust it, believe him that he took your place, he took my place. There's no greater question that must be answered by every single one of us. By every single person that's on the face of the earth now or ever has been, ever will be, there was never a more important question. What will you do with Jesus? How will you respond to what he has done? Father, we come. Father, we come understanding what you have done. God, where in Revelation chapter 13 you stated that before the foundation of the world, Lord, you made a way through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, just as what took place with Abraham and Isaac, how you had a ram caught in the thicket, just as how you sent Joseph to Egypt so that he might preserve life years, a decade, 15 years before there was famine. God, you prepared a way that Brian Tillman, as messed up 
in thoughts, in word, in mood, in action. Multiplied times over. You made a way for every single one of us to be reconciled to you. And it was through your son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray this morning for men, women, boys, girls that are here in this place. God, that we would respond to you. We're about to sing Jesus Messiah. God, I pray that as we do that, Lord, it's not just words on a screen and vibrations coming out of our mouths, but Father, we would respond agreeing that He is Messiah, that He is our Messiah, He is my Messiah, anointed one, Savior. God, that we would bow our knees fresh and new, that we would confess with our mouths that you are Lord Jesus. That that would be our response and it would change how I live today, that I live this week, that we live out the life that you give us. For there's no plan B. This is how you desire to Make your name great through your men, your women, your sons, your daughters. God, use me, use us, I pray. And may we respond in joy. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You stand. The altar is open. You come.